0: Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Well, guys, today we have a special guest with us. We have Tony Roberts. Well, Tony Roberts graduated from Louisville Presbyterian Seminary with a Master of Divinity degree. He served 20 years in the pastoral ministry while living with bipolar disorder. He's the author of two books. One is called Delight in Disorder and When Despair Meets Delight. He's now the chief shepherd of Delight in Disorder Ministries. With that said, I now present to you Tony Roberts.
1: Hello, Cleone. Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem. Thank you very much for coming on. So I see that you are... You are, you are a pastor or you are in the pastoral ministry. Tell us more about your profession, what you do. And um, I believe you're a mental health minister now. So tell us more about that ministry that you have.
1: Yes, so I was in a pastoral role. Uh, you, know, the, the, you might say the solo pastor of a church. I served four different churches over the course of 20 years. Um, Ranging in size from 100 to 400 uh, congregants, Um, and uh, also a variety of settings from rural to urban, suburban, small village, uh, variety of ranges, ethnic backgrounds, um, from you know those those of you in America or know the geography at, from the St. Louis area to near Pittsburgh um, and then um, in the Finger Lakes region of New York upstate New York uh, and then Long Island was my final call uh, outside of uh, New York City um, and uh, uh, so that that was my first 20 years and had a blessed Uh, time in that. But as I progressed, and my illness progressed, the responsibilities of being a pastor and being available Mm -hmm. 24-7 was uh, too much. Uh, It uh, started to uh, accumulate. Um, I also had some uh, conflictual marriage issues and um, uh, some unusual conflict in the church that was not getting resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stepped away with full support of my ministry supervisors and entered into a more mental health ministry, which I do now. And um, my role is somewhat, I'm, I'm a free agent. Um, I'm, I'm the CEO mm-hmm. of this um, th- uh, I founded Delight in Disorder Ministries, and I meet either, well, before COVID started, I would meet with people and consult with them, like leaders of churches, um, about mental health issues, you know, how can we be more inclusive, how can we respond and educate our congregation on mental health matters. Uh, Since COVID struck, I've been more of like a coach for um, people with disabilities or mental health challenges and their loved ones. So, I've been working more like this in Zoom capacity or uh, texts or um, emails. So... um, I have a blog and we'll get into other things later, but that's, that's what I do now in my ministry.
0: Okay. Wonderful. So tell us, what is your mental health diagnosis and when were you diagnosed?
1: I have bipolar disorder one, which means for, many of you may already know that, but some may not. Um, I, um, I rapidly cycle, um, I can go from abject depression to elation um, um, mania in the, in the course of a day. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I uh, um, also have these mixed mix states, which I'm struggling with now, which is uh, the most problematic because it's like the worst of depression and the worst of, of mania where I feel very agitated I feel very um, uh, <clears throat> not violent, but aggressive verbally, um, and at the same time, I feel very hopeless and lacking energy. So, um, the um, I was diagnosed in 1995. Um, I was I was 30 years old. Um, so there were you know that that's rather late onset. But I had, uh, I did have symptoms leading up to that. It had only coalesced and uh, become able, you know, able to diagnose when I was 30 at, in 1995.
0: Okay, interesting. So maybe you can tell us more about your mental health story of resilience. What happened? Um with your mental health um, and how you were able to show some resilience despite your illness.
1: Sure, um, well, um, when I was first diagnosed, what led up to that was a, uh, a period I was switched, I was taking the not- antidepressant and that created a mood uh, a, a medication-induced psychosis, mm. uh, <clears throat> where I was awake for seven days, seven nights, and hallucinating visually and auditorially, um, auditory, um, and I was still serving full time in the pulpit. So it was, you know, it was it was problematic. Um, I did check myself into a hospital, voluntarily, where. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed and put on medication. Probably one of the best resilient decisions I made, and I don't take full credit for this. Um, I had a lot of support from family, friends, and, and colleagues, and supervisors, uh, as well as the grace of God, I believe, um, is that I chose to take medicine and to seek medical care. Um, uh, it's you know, sometimes people in my diagnosis resist that, um, partly because mania feels so good, <laughs> you know, when yes, you, <laughs> you can, you can appreciate that. Um, uh, and uh, no one wants to feel like they have to rely on medicine their whole life. Right. Um, but early on, I accepted the reality that if I was going to, to live a reasonably um, uh, you know, happy life, uh, I would need to take medicine the rest of my life. Um, I accepted that reality. Um, and then over the course, there've been tremendous ups and downs, um, but I've been blessed to have, um, again, family, friends, colleagues, supporters, um, and the grace of God to Um, to bounce back, you know, I, um, uh, some of the, you know, I was told when I first went to um, the psych hospital, there was an old crotchety nurse who (laughs) who was like the bearer of bad news, and I I guess I was giving her a hard time, Mm -hmm. and she decided to give me a dose of reality when I insisted that she give me a prognosis for my illness, and she said, well, you're going to divorce, you'll never work as a pastor again, and you'll be in and out of the psych hospital. So um, in a way, on the surface level, you could say that that forecast held true. Um, I, I did, after 25 years, I did get divorced, but we, we made it, you know, we made it meaningful. We had four children that I love very dearly. Uh, you know, I don't regret a moment of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I wasn't able to stay in pastoral ministry, but my ministry has persisted. It just took a different form. Um, and even though I did go back to a psych unit, um, I've, I've not been over the course of the last dozen years so um, i've been able to manage it um in an outpatient basis so That's yeah
0: yeah so my next question is um so you became you were diagnosed when you were 30 so a little later in life so what was it like being a man with a mental illness how did that affect your manhood
1: Yes, um, it's a, it's an excellent question, and you know i i don't know uh, I, I don't know this this precise statistics, but I do know that from what I've studied that um, women are more commonly diagnosed with bipolar, um, really with with all mental illness, correctly, but but it's probably more the case because they're the ones who ask for help, right? <laughs> um, men are less inclined to ask for help. Um, I've always been a bit unusual as a man. I've, uh, (laughs) I've always been, um, even though I was a, you know, I was an athlete and, you know, I was, I was, um, I was comfortable with my manliness. um, I was also very much in touch with my emotions and, you know, probably more, well, I know I had a lot more friends who were women than, than men, Um, but it did, you know, when, when I would interact with other men and um, congregation members, because, uh, you know, ministry is perceived and it, well, more than just perceived, it is cut out to be for men. There are growing numbers of women entering ministry, which I think is great, Um, but traditionally, especially in my denomination, it, you know, you had a strong male leader at the helm of the pulpit. <laughs> you know? right. And uh, um, when I was diagnosed and came back, because I came back full time in ministry, um, there were people that did question um, my ability to be that strong male figure leading a congregation. Um, Fortunately, we did address that as, because I had a group of, of mostly male leaders who believed it, was, it wasn't you know, a death sentence we could lead together.
0: Okay, yeah. interesting. So my next question is, um, with regards to, relig- to uh, um, your faith, Mm-hmm. I know sometimes that mental illness can be demonized. Yep. Um, did you experience any of that in your faith? Um, and what are your thoughts about mental illness and um, being demonized in the congregations?
1: Yes. Um, I'll respond to that in two ways. First, that um, um, there there is uh, a challenge for those of us who... Fall into both worlds of having a mental illness and being a person of faith, Um, because sometimes—and this was the case for me—sometimes our delusions take religious shape. Uh, You know, um, that doesn't mean that that all religion is delusional (laughs) by any means, but if you—if this is a strong component of your life, um, it's it's often the form your delusions take. And so early on, um, my delusions were, you know, the end of the world and, you know, um, my role in rescuing um, people, saving people. Um, And even though I didn't have a Messiah complex, there was, you know, there was a, a kind of prophetic role that I was part of my delusion. But there is that that we have to deal with. And one thing I had to learn um, and rely on others was that, um, you know, I I could no longer believe that I heard the voice of God without checking it with others. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, So, but then on the other side of things, your question, I think more tied to your question is that, um, many people in the church and beyond the church uh, will paint a broad brushstroke and see all mental illness as as you say demon possession and uh, you know that's been a historic interpretation of many people in the religious realm Um, and it has persisted even though science and, you know, experience and everything points in an opposite direction. um, You know, this mental illness is a, a brain disorder that is caused by, we don't have the precise cause, but it's caused by a genetic chemical component of some form um, something in the brain is giving us a signal that is um, is messing with our mood state. Um, and um, certain chemicals can alleviate symptoms, um, but at this time, there is no cure. Um, but it has a spiritual dimension in that... Um, in order to cope with the impact of um, this illness, um, we certainly need spiritual resources, um, but that doesn't mean that um, it's it's a demonic um, possession. Mm-hmm.
0: mm mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Because so, yeah, I, I I do believe that mental health. Um, well, mental illness can be both spiritual and chemical and it'll take the discernment of someone who has spiritual eyes to see things, to be able to tell the difference between when something is spiritual versus when something is chemical. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I would, do, I would agree that all illness, uh, both mental, physical, you know psychological is is always a whole part of who we are um you know be, because we're flawed creatures there you know my theology tells me that you know we are created perfect in the image of god and then something happened that created this this flaw this fall mm-hmm. and because of that um, we experience illness and one of the ways our illness manifests itself is through our brain disorders. Um, so yes, I think to get to the heart of your question is that sometimes to address our illness, the best method is spiritual. Um, and other times the best method is, you know, medical. Um, but all all elements need to work together. Um, And that's a big part of my ministry. I talk about um, building bridges between the mental health care system and the faith communities, because I think both have um, a lot to offer in order to produce healing. Yes.
0: Very good points. Very good points. So What are some challenges that you experienced as a man with a mental illness? What are some challenges that you can think of that you experienced?
1: I think um, probably as a man with a mental illness, I have um, dealt with uh, a sense of weakness and interpreting uh, what that, uh, you know, what my limits were. Um, when I was in high school, I was elected or selected the top scholar-athlete in mm-hmm. in my class, and um, you know there was a lot of pride that went with that. I continued to be a top athlete, um, so um, I I never really dealt with uh, and and then I you know I was advancing in my career. So first as a student and then advancing in my career. um, You know, I I was fortunate that in the pastoral realm I was able to um, advance um, uh, until my illness took uh, form that was overly debilitating. Um, And then, you know, the probably the biggest challenge was when I went on on disability. in terms of financial disability um, you know men have a hard time i know i did in terms of you know we we basically at least i felt like you know i earn i need to earn an honest day's dollar with with, with an honest day's work um, uh, and probably it's been a dozen years now probably the first decade um, I would literally have nightmares almost every night that, you know, I needed to go out there and work and do some job. I was desperate. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, you know, my doctors are saying, you need to put your health as your job. You know, this is your job to stay healthy. And um, I finally come to terms with, you know, the fact that men, women, you know, anyone, it's not in terms of, how, you know, what we are doing to earn uh, an income. It's more, how are we being productive to give back to society? Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been able to, as a man, you know, I've been able to um, have peace that I'm still contributing back through the work that I do in mental health ministry, you know, even though um uh you know the payment isn't what you would see of you know other men in my education status and you know mm. all that okay yeah you
0: know. so my next question is what is it like being in a relationship having a illness excellent
1: excellent question <laughs> my wife and i learn something new every day we We've been married two years now. In fact, um, Sunday was our anniversary. So um, yes, Um, before before we met, um, she really had never had um, any sort of relationship with someone with a serious mental illness. I mean, not even a casual friendship. Um, So suddenly she's immersed in... (laughs) (laughs) in this this challenging um role to and she she is just such a nurturing loving person um and sometimes that works against her you know that's one one thing we've really talked about because uh, Mm -hmm. as some of your listeners know I mean sometimes we get and this is part of my mixed state sometimes we get into situations where we just need to 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 be left alone um, and there is no solution, you know, there is no, um, uh, way to engage until our mood state has improved. Um, but we're learning a lot and I reflect a, a lot. Part of what helps me, my saving grace is that I write a lot. You mentioned my two books. I also have a blog, um, and I keep journals. Um, so I do a lot of self-reflection. In fact, I have a journal just on my marriage um, and it relates to, okay, this is what's happened today. Um, this is what I've learned. And, you know, this is what I can do differently. Um, uh, but we also, we, we see a counselor. Um, we each have friends that we talk about. Um, I think it's important. Sometimes people are reluctant to do this because, you know, you don't want to talk about your marriage outside of your marriage, but I fully believe, um, I mean, counseling is where the deep issues can be resolved, but you also need a good best friend, um, you know, to, you know, who's, who's going to be impartial, you know, who's not going to try to, convince you to leave your partner or you know um but someone to um to encourage you okay
0: so what is it like being a father with a mental illness
1: you know that's one of my biggest challenges um i currently have launched my children so i don't have um you know the ongoing daily Relationship, but um, looking back, and you know, hindsight is 2020. Always, um, you know, I tried to do so many things in my career, in my um, community service, in my, um, uh, you know, uh, I I just tried to do so many things all the while having a a serious mental illness. That I had very little left for my children. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, looking back, I, I would like to have done that over. And it's kind of like what I tell people is that I got an A plus as a minister and probably a C minus as a dad. Okay. Um, and I would have liked to have gotten at least a B in both. <laughs> so, uh, um, but now I... You know, my children are launched. I um, I have an older daughter who's married and has four children, my grandchildren, and uh, uh, get along great with my step uh, my son-in-law. And um, I have a daughter who's um, who's just being launched, and then two children. Um, they live with their mother, who are uh, my ex-wife and they uh, both have down syndrome we adopted them oh. and uh, i talked to them on um, a video call every saturday and uh, um, you know they they seem to be seem to be enjoying the 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 the, the, co- the, the pandemic has has really put a crimp in, in their lifestyle cuz they like to get out and be among people and, mm-hmm. um, but i feel like Um, I would like to make decisions again from early in their childhood, um, but I'm grateful to God that it has, um, you know, it's never too late.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Good point. So how open are you with your mental illness with friends, family, acquaintances?
1: I'm an open book. Yeah, it it costs $14.99 for for Amazon. Uh, (laughs) um, That's what I tell people. That's my (laughs) tagline. No, it's, um, I have always been very open. Um, Something compelled me early on when I first admitted myself in the psych unit. Um, I had the choice, and this was 1995. Some of you remember back then, and it's even still the case then. But 1995, they were just coming out with new meds that gave hope to people with bipolar. But Mm -hmm. there were still people, a lot of people, who felt like with that diagnosis, you were basically restricted to a psych unit taking Thorazine and walking around in slippers. Uh, Mm -hmm. And um, so when I came out as a full-time pastor, intending to go back into full-time ministry. Um, and I did it while I was in the hospital. You know, I basically wrote a letter and um people um you know I don't advise anyone else to do this. Like I said, I was just uh compelled. I, I believe look you know looking back I think it was a God led decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've I've known many people who did similar things and it didn't work out. Um, so again, I don't advise it. But the blessing that it's been for me is um, I've never had to keep a secret, you know. Um, so along the way, I had a, um, a ministry supervisor who gave me the best advice. And that is, I asked him, you know, who do I tell um, about my illness? And he said, well, you, you look for two or three trusted leaders and if possible, some you know, people with the experience of being in mental health. So I found um, two psych nurses who were in leadership roles in my church. Um, and then he said, and then don't feel compelled to keep a secret, but don't, also don't go to the pulpit and announce it. Basically, if you're in relationship with someone and they are having struggles, You know, compassionately identify with them and say, you know, I can appreciate what you're going through and indicate a part of your story. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is how I advise people today that I counsel, that I consult with, you know, don't don't feel obligated either to announce it to the world or to keep it a secret. You know, certainly share it in counseling, um, share it with your closest family and see if you can come up with a strategy to, um, to talk about it more openly.
0: Okay. Okay. So, what did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? List all resources that were applicable.
1: Um, Yes, well, um, I had a number of low points. Um, there's no doubt about that. And I think everyone with with my diagnosis and other diagnoses um, have them. Um, I think one of the things I had to do um, that was a good decision is to ask people to play more, um, Uh, how do I want to put this, Uh, play a more central role in my daily self-care. So for a while, when I was confused with my illness, um, I might put my wife or my my sister, who's a psych nurse, I might put them in charge of filling my pill containers and Mm. checking it every day. To make sure that I had taken my medicine. Um, You know, that may seem like a small thing to do, but it was huge. You know, if you take your medicine every day on time, um, it it can make a major difference. Um, Certainly, uh, both regular appointments with psychiatrists or nurse practitioners, psychiatric. and therapists have been um, great helps for me. Um, and along the way, even though I've been a pastor, so I don't really have a pastor in in the traditional sense, I've always had a, a spiritual mentor, someone who, who could um, reflect with me on what God was doing in my life. Um, you know, related to my illness and related to decisions I made as a person with mental illness. Um, you know, one s- story of uh, terms of being low and finding some resilience um, in, in that, um, I uh, had, uh, when uh, I first separated from my first wife, um, yeah, I was pretty much homeless. Um, mm. I had, um, I had basically gotten a stranger <laughs> to take me to uh, a um, a psych hospital where I begged them to put me in a shelter because I didn't want to go back. Um, and uh, I was very confused. They didn't, um, think that was wise, <laughs> which is, I mean, think they, they were very kind to to recognize that. In fact, their words were, they'll eat you alive. Uh, and uh, I'm sure they would have. Uh, but they, um, they kept me all night long. Um, the social worker um, and others would just every so often talk to me and basically listen to me as I went through my mind searching for my self-care resources. You know, who can you contact now? Um, What would you ask them? You know, what is it that you need? Um, um, And um, so having someone and especially a mental health professional like that, um, think through your needs. And what ended up happening is that I, Found a ministry supervisor in the area who he couldn't help himself, but he knew a church that could. And a pastor of that church um, picked me up and took me to eat because I hadn't eaten for a while. Um, She and her church put me up in a like a temporary hotel. It was kind of like, I mean, it wasn't the best. It was, it was kind of like a place you, you send people who have been evicted from, um, you know, um, uh, section eight housing or whatever, you know, very bad cockroach written and everything, but I was only there for three days and, uh, they, they offered to do my laundry and the church did. Uh, and, uh, I got my mind together, and I got my resources together, and I got an apartment. So, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with looking for the people who will listen to you, because I think a lot of it, we, we can't even even at my most confused state, when I when I met someone who would listen to me, I would I would become less confused. And uh, yeah.
0: OK. So what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest points?
1: That I wish I had available? Yes. Um, I think that what I have available now that I didn't then was um, my extended family. And especially, uh, well, I should start with my, my, my wife now. Uh, She's a tremendous pillar of strength for me. Um, and I think had she been in my life, well, I know had she been in my life then, um, I would have not reached that bottoming out pure point. Um, and then also my, my extended family, especially my sister, who's a psych nurse and, uh, you know, she's kind of also like back up when my, when my wife gets exasperated, <laughs> trying to figure something out and uh, she will, um, you know, my, my sister will call or will call her and uh, talk through my decisions. Um, um, let's see, you asked for three, those are two. The third would probably be, um, Just, oh, I know what the third is. Um, I had, um, even though as a pastor, I would uh, be open, you know, because of decisions I made, I was open about my illness. I never really developed a network of friends who I could look to during times of stress. I always would load it up on one or two people. Um, And one thing I would strongly suggest to those of you listening and, you know, others with uh, mental illness is, you know, don't load it up on one or two people, you know, even if, even if you send a quick message or a text to someone, that's why I love peer, peer specialists, if I don't know if that's what you call the language in, in Canada, but peer support workers, peer support workers, um, People who who know, I mean, they're not going to do therapy, they're not going to prescribe meds, but they can talk with you, they can listen, and they know what you're going through. And I, to this day, you know, um, uh, I will, you know, send a quick message. In fact, there's one woman, Melanie. Hi, Melanie, uh, to <laughs> in Toronto. No, she's Quebec. I'm sorry. Um, uh, You know, Australia, if if it's in the middle of the night, I have friends in Australia or um, South Africa, um, you know, all the time zones. Um, And uh, uh, it's just been a a great blessing. Um, That that way, I also don't have to uh, uh, busy up the crisis lines because, I mean, crisis lines are essential for people who are in crisis, but a lot of the time I'm just, you know, feeling very low and I could sink further uh, unless I get some friends together and we, we talk.
0: Okay. So tell us a little bit more about, um, how you incorporate your faith with your mental illness and your ministry, what you're doing now.
1: Well, um, my blog is a place my books and my blogs when i write i always have in mind the two worlds Um, i reflect on um you know my personal faith i'm a christian um and yet i'm also um one who believes that christ died for all and that um you know we don't condemn people Based on their worldview, um, our job is to uh, invite people in to relationship, and that uh, out of that relationship, um, you know, love emerges. And if anyone will, um, uh, you know, if any changes happen, there's a there's a saying: a, a good mentor. Um, would say to me and he he would counsel young pastors with this and he said you know don't try to change people to be more like you love them into mutual transformation and that's what i believe in my faith um i think that as someone with a mental illness you know and also working with people impacted by mental illness um you know I don't have all the answers I don't my faith doesn't give me uh, I'm not an expert on what they need to believe but as I share my faith and my story and you know in my own transformations that that God has has brought about in my life mm-hmm. um, and invite them to share their stories because I think everyone has a story. Um, and we listen to each other, um, that some form of healing happens. Not not a cure, um, although that's possible, but it's rare, and it may not come in this life. Um, but uh, that's sort of how my faith works. And I don't. The exciting thing for me, I was just um, in conversation with one of my friends who's an atheist, and we are just best of friends. Um, but that never would have happened when I was a pastor. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you're a pastor, you're pretty well limited to people who think and act and believe. And, you know, everyone shares the same uh, worldview as you, because if if you're a pastor, they either stay away from you or, you know, you, you just don't have enough time. You're serving people uh, in your flock. Um, but now that I'm a mental health pastor, my my flock is really, you know, people who know, you know, there are challenges and we're very much, you know, we're, we're very much different.
0: Okay, cool. Then I'd like to know when you came out um, as someone with a mental health challenge, how were you received by your faith community?
1: Well, this is another case where it, it was nothing short of a miracle, um, because uh, I've never heard of anyone who had been embraced as much as I was. Okay. Uh, almost without exception, um, you know. My, um, I mean, my 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 uh, board of my church gave me an unli- unlimited paid leave of absence. Um, the Mostly women of the church gave my wife um, all the you know the we we were a traditional family my wife was at home with the meals and and the children and they they basically took that over so so she could uh, uh, visit me and sort of nurse me back to health um, uh, all of you know in America it's you know the medical costs are outrageous yeah uh, especially for psychiatric um care uh, all of the extraordinary psychological or psychiatric care was covered we don't even know who did that um no. uh, it was i mean it was nothing short of a miracle um so now that's you know that's not happening enough in no. um in the world today and that's one. One reason I share my story is that there's no reason why it can't happen. If it if it happened with me, and the the people that I was serving, and it was a good outcome. I mean, they grew, I grew, the church grew, uh, our faith grew. Um, you know, we we learned to be more giving and sharing and I came back strong. I served another dozen years in pastoral ministry, and I'm still in ministry. Um, So, um, yeah, that, that, now, now I will back up and say there were people who, who weren't fully embracing, you know, we had, initially we had, um, let's see, this was a church of about 250 members. And I would say, you know, the, the very first, because I initially spent um, six months out of the pulpit. I, would, I was coming back part-time, but not full-time. And I would say over the course of that six weeks, there were probably 50 people who kind of stepped back into the woodwork. Um, but my, um, as soon as I was doing better, my leadership team and I decided that uh, we would make home visits to everyone Um, and many of those 50 people just, it was just a lack of understanding, right? Uh, They felt like, well, you know, he's too fragile now, or he's contagious or, (laughs) (laughs) and once they saw me in person and realized that I was as good as ever, um, it's all it took. Okay. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. I'm glad that you had that experience. Not everyone has had that experience, but that's amazing that you were able to have a positive experience um, with the church. Uh, With that said, what words of hope can you give to our listeners?
1: I would say certainly that um, for all of those impacted by um, mental health challenges, um, including loved ones, um, because that's, that's where my ministry is headed now. Um, it seems, I mean, I'm not restricting it to any one, but I think God is leading me in the direction of reaching out and people reaching out to me who are loved ones of those with mental health challenges, particularly diagnosed with serious mental illness. You might say schizophrenia, bipolar, um, Major depression, schizoaffective, um, and that is what I would say to all of you is that um, you know that this you know there is hope. Um, there will be challenges daily, um, but I would encourage you to reach out with um, you know not just professionals, but don't restrict. Professionals from from helping you. Um, certainly, on the level of faith, um, give your friends and family and um, churches, people you know who uh, who have faith. You know, give them a chance. Um, be honest about your needs. Um, correct them when they make mistakes. Um, um you know I think as I've worked with churches and church leaders and uh believers um, you know they don't intend to hurt or restrict or um, exclude but they it's it's just ignorance they they right. don't know any better or they're afraid or they're you know they're hiding some of their own needs um, uh So, you know, it's really up to those of us with mental illness, those of us impacted by mental health challenges also, you know, to look for support and in doing so also educate. Um, And um, there's no better outcome that I have found than when I've sat down and uh, in in a context of prayer with people who are searching for healing um, in our minds and bodies and spirits. And and that's my hope. And and I think people impacted by mental health challenges play an extent, you know, an essential role in that.
0: Okay, wonderful. So we're going to switch it up just a little bit. Basically, um, as you can see behind me, there is some books um, called The Music of My Life. Um, And basically it's about my journey with bipolar and um, music, music therapy. So with that Mm -hmm. said, I'd like to know what type of music do you like?
1: Wow, I love that question (laughs) Um, because I make music playlists all the time Yes. And this, uh, this season of Christmas, that's kind of my Christmas gift to people. Um, And uh, so I'll say my top genre is Americana music, which is kind of like a blend of country, folk, pop. Um, There's an artist that has become popular. I think his song may be number one on the American charts. And that's, Nathaniel Ratcliffe. Um, and he has a song called um, It's Still All Right. Um, so Americana. But increasingly, the music that I, I, I seek out um, is uh, uh, a blend of I'm, I'm really getting into jazz some. Um, okay. And uh, Rolling Stone had a 100 best songs of the year um and i looked at that and listened to the whole list and um there's a lot of good music out there that i don't billy eilish have you listened to any billy eilish no but i've heard of i heard of them that she's been winning winning grammys and she's 16 years old and she deals with a lot of mental um health challenges wow Um, so I, I recommend her to your reader. She writes her own music and uh, you know, lyrics. And she's really amazing, Billie Eilish. How about you?
0: For me, I like gospel music, gospel mm-hmm. rap, gospel reggae. I like um, old school, Motown. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, um, yeah, I love old school music um, mm-hmm. from the uh, 80s and 90s, early 90s and um some from the 70s so that's yes. me
1: <laughs> i love music yes. very eclectic taste well i'm dating myself for me that's like my my uh my growing up years <laughs> <laughs> that's not old school that's like you know old school for me would be like billy Holiday and uh, right. uh the really you know ella fitzgerald and <laughs> definitely definitely okay (laughs) so with
0: that said if you were to think of one song that describes your journey what would it be and why
1: Hmm, I like that a lot um uh let's see here I'm gonna cheat and get my most recent playlist out okay I can access this really quick um The first song that's come to my mind is always on my playlist, and that's a song called I Remember Everything Mm -hmm. uh, by John Pine, my favorite singer-songwriter. Actually, he just died of COVID complications this year. He was 73, been recording since he was 69, um, in 1969, I mean. and it's a song about uh, basically celebrating um, the small moments, you know, re- I remember when we stayed at that hotel and, you know, the, the, the color of your skin and, the, you know, the basically I remember fishing and, you know, he w- this was the last song he recorded. So it's, it's almost like, you know, a man looking back on his life and saying, you know, Um, it was good. And, uh, uh, you know, as much challenges as we go through, and, you know, certainly with mental health challenge, I've been blessed to live long enough, and I'm only 56, I have a lot more to go. (laughs) But, you know, I can, you know, the, the, the blessing of age, I think, is you can look back and say, you know, it's, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff that's, that's, I've gone through.
0: Okay. Amazing. So how can we stay in touch with you? What are your social media handles?
1: Well, I have a, a blog that's the first place to start. Uh, and that is, uh, well, it's a website mm-hmm. with a blog um, included. It's delight in Disorder, So, delightindisorder.org. Um, and there you will find, uh, I've taken a little bit of a holiday break, but starting the new year, I'm gonna have um, faith and mental uh, health reflections from myself and then also guest posts. And I'd love to invite you to, to do one. Um, um, and uh, uh, from that, there's a contact button or you can reach me at Tony at DelightInDisorder.org. Um, I have a Facebook page that is, um, uh, if, you, you know, if you look at Tony Roberts, you'll find it's, I think it's Facebook backslash delightanddisorder.org. Um, and then um, I don't really do Twitter. I have those, but those are the two best social media uh, access uh, for me. Can I assume, so you're not
0: on Instagram then?
1: No, I'm not on Instagram. Okay. No.
0: no worries. Perfect. Well, I want to thank <laughs> you very much, Tony, for being a guest on our show and sharing your um, gems with us. It was very insightful.
1: Thank and you. Thank you. And, and I'll have you on my, on my blog and you can write about your music, um, he, well, music therapy and what songs are important to you.
0: Yeah, no worries. that will be awesome. <laughs> so yeah. with that said, to all you resilient minds out there, until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also, join the resi- the community of resilient minds and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life on all my Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect with Tony's testimonial, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at Only Cleone or Resilient Minds 365. And also remember, Mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live in abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off.